Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Look, I talk a lot about side hustles and I give a lot of step-by-step guides. I think in what I'm calling the great reset, everyone is going to need to learn some of these side hustling skills, whether it's how to do marketing in this new world or how to set up blogs or websites or a little bit of both. I really love what this one company is doing, learn.com, L-U-R-N.com. Their whole point is, it's easy for you to learn these skills. Once you learn the skills, you could start making money almost immediately. So what I want people to do is check out this free on-demand workshop. My friend Anik Singal is giving the workshop. The workshop is specifically set aside for you guys, my listeners, and Anik is gonna show you how to launch and scale an online business with nothing more than an email address. So if you're dropped in the middle of a desert and all you've got is an email address and an internet connection, Anik is gonna tell you how to make a sizable business from it. Not just a side hustle, but a business. And he's gonna show you how to generate passive income simply by mailing affiliate offers from smart marketers around the world. So I've described affiliate deals a little bit in the past, um, but if you don't know what they are, it's an excellent way to make money using a blog or email marketing or Twitter or whatever. So Anik has this specific free on-demand workshop to discover how to, how to do this, how to use your email address to build a significant income side hustle that can generate thousands of month in passive income. Go to www.learnlurn.com slash altature. That's www l-u-r-n learn.com slash altature this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altature show welcome to the second episode of side hustle fridays And I'm going to talk today about one of my favorite topics, writing, and particularly how you could potentially make a living from writing and not only just writing, but book writing pretty quickly. So I'm going to give six different 30-day book challenges. Some of you have heard me talk about some of these, but I'm going to try to elaborate a little bit more. I'm going to talk a little bit about the steps you would take and how to self-publish and the whole thing. First, a little story. There's a lot of people say to me, oh, well, I would love to write a book, but I'm not a writer. And I get it. 
nobody starts off a writer. It's not like Hemingway woke up one day and is like, oh, I'm going to just write one of the best novels ever, The Sun Also Rises. He worked at it every single day for years. But I'm not saying you have to work for it. The way I structure these 30-day book challenges, you don't even have to think like a writer at all. I'll give you the basic writing techniques that you need. And even if you don't want to, even if you want to speak it and not write it, I have some solutions for you. So bear with me. But first off, why write a book? Why write it in 30 days? Is it possible to write a book in 30 days? What's the point of all of this? And so on. And by the way, everybody has a different reason to write a book. So when I was younger, when I was like 21 or 22 years old, literally the only reason I wanted to write a book is because I was so insecure with who I was. I felt like I needed the label author to be impressive. And so I wrote novel after novel after novel. This is in the 90s. And they were all horrible. Like it, it is a really difficult skill to learn how to write well. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about good reasons to be a writer and how to easily write your first, not only your first one book, but using the techniques I described, you can write your first hundred books. And I'm not even exaggerating. So one friend of mine, uh, I've done a, a couple of podcasts with him, Steve Scott. He, at one point, I, I haven't talked to him in years, but I remember when I talked to him on the podcast, he was making $60,000 a month just because he had self-published, I don't know how many books, somewhere between 50 and 100. He had published so many books that they he had to publish under several different names. There's another guy who I follow on Amazon. I actually haven't bought any of his books, but I'm fascinated by how many books he's written. His name's Patrick King. And he writes all these little books about uh, small talk. Like, how, let me just, I'm going to look up Amazon Patrick King. And I've never spoken to this guy. He seems like a good guy. I don't know him. But here's like some of his books. Uh, here's a book called Improve Your People Skills. Here's another book called The Science of Likeability. Here's one called Conversation Tactics, an entire book about that. And then right next to it, here's a book called Chatter, Small Talk, Charisma, and How to Talk to Anyone. And then here's another book, Conversationally Speaking. Here's another one, Improve Your People Skills. So, and these books are probably all completely different and people are buying, I don't know if people are buying all of them, but like, for instance, let's look at this one. Have, learn to think using riddles, brain teasers, and wordplay. Develop a quick wit, think more creatively and cleverly, and train your problem-solving instincts. And that one just came out a, a few weeks ago, and it's got five reviews. It's $3.99. And, oh, here's another one, The Art of Thinking Clearly. Looks good. And it's, it's ranked number five in educational psychology and number five in business leadership training. So it's doing pretty good. You know what? Um, and it's available on Kindle, audiobook, hardcover, paperback on Amazon. I'll get to that in a second because there's some things that are a little confusing to people. But first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this book. I always am looking at his books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy one. All right, place order. There we go. One of Patrick King's 100 books. And I know he pro I'm pretty sure he also writes under various names as well. Because when you write so many books, you don't want people, I don't know what you want people to do, but for whatever reason, when you write a hundred books, all these guys publish under a bunch of different names. But the point is, let's say everybody averages, I don't know, let's just say they average $300 per month per book. That's not impossible. 
He's selling a book for $3.99. He gets about, I think, 70% of that. So that's, you know, let's say it's closer to $3. So basically, he'd has to, he just has to sell 100 copies of that book per month. And some months he might sell thousands, some months he might sell zero, but he just has to average 100 copies a month. And if he has 100 books, if he has, let's say he has 50 books, that's $15,000 a month. If he has 100 books, that's $30,000 a month. Now, how do you write 100 books? I'll get to that in a little bit. Let's first write the first book. Uh, but another important piece of this is, is we're not just talking about writing a book. In these Side Hustle Fridays, I am not just talking about one source of income. I'm talking about how to scale vertically and horizontally. So the way you scale uh, vertically here, I might be getting the directions wrong, but the way you scale, scale vertically in writing books is you write many books. The way, and you make more money, you, ma you make income from each book. That's multiple sources of income. The way you scale horizontally is what I call the spoken wheel approach. Let's say you write a book about golf. Okay, then you do a podcast. Here, that's one spoke. Then you do a podcast about golf. Then you do a newsletter about the latest golf equipment. Then you set up an e-commerce store for the latest golf equipment. Then maybe you do, uh, uh, you, you make a golf coaching exchange, match beginning golfers with coaches. I'm just riffing here, but uh, everything you do, there's always two ways to scale. And using this spoke and wheel idea, maybe you make an online course, an online newsletter, a video series, who knows? Maybe you sell, do affiliate deals with golf equipment companies. Again, who knows? But I'm going to describe now six different 30-day book challenges. Each one of these ideas that I'm going to give you can be written from beginning to end in 30 days. You could even get a cover. You could publish it. You could make a paperback and a Kindle and, and hopefully even an audiobook. So first off, I want to, I want to address some people say, oh, you, this guy just self-published. That's not, that doesn't count. Believe me, it counts. Self-published books in general, a friend of mine did a study, Hugh Howey uh, wrote the science fiction series, Wool, and he's written a bunch of other books. Wool sold over a million copies. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be a movie as well but he started off self-publishing well. And remember that movie, The Martian, starring Matt Damon? Well, Andy Weir, who's been on my podcast, he self-published The Martian. And remember that tiny little book, 50 Shades of Grey? Well, guess what? E.L. James started off self-publishing it. And I remember the guys at Amazon were telling me that when she sold 250,000 copies of 50 Shades of Grey, she came to them and said, hey, will you guys officially publish my book? Because they, they own a publishing company called, I think it's called Thomas and James or something like that. And, she, and they said no to her. So she went to a major publishing company, Random House or Simon & Schuster, one of those. And she, I think she sold like 50 million copies of her book. And there's a bunch of movies and a bunch of books and practically a billionaire from Fifty Shades of Grey now. So that's part of book writing too. Everybody rejects everybody. Why did Amazon reject her? I don't know. Maybe because it was a horribly written book or it was like soft porn or whatever, but who cares? Nobody cares. The beauty of the Kindle when it came out is that people started downloading soft porn books because nobody could tell. It wasn't like Fabio on the cover, you know, flexing his muscles. Nobody could tell what you're reading. It looks like you're really studious in the, on the bus reading from your Kindle when you're actually reading 50 shades of gray. By the way, one of my self-published books, I don't, I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my self-published books, I did a little bit of an experiment. 
I took Fifty Shades of Grey. I hired a grad student to go over every single word in the book and change it to a synonym. So it was the exact same book as Fifty Shades of Grey, but uh, it was every word was different. So instead of saying something like, you know, she had to rush home for finals, um, it, it, it might say, you know, J Jane had to quickly get to her apartment in time to study for her tests or something like that. And so let me see. I haven't looked at this one in a while. I forgot the name of it, but I just remembered the name of it. It's called How to Satisfy a Billionaire. I can't even remember what pseudonym I used. Let's see. How to Satisfy a Billionaire, Billionaire Story of a Shy Girl. That was the subtitle by Jackie King. Oh my gosh. And there's one review. Let's see. It's only ranked 2 million in the Kindle store, meaning it's not doing well at all. Oh, <laughs> so here's the review. The review was left. I got five stars for my one customer review. It was, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, it was it, on December 2nd, 2019. One of the best books I've ever read. An incredibly gripping, original, and sexy story told from the perspective of a girl played with the monotony of everyday life. When a chance opportunity allows her to step outside the world, Brenda dares where lesser women might cower. Another brilliant work by Jackie King. Story of a shy girl proves that provocative fiction is still alive and well. All right, I think he's being a little sarcastic, but that's one of my self-published books. I will tell you, I've, I've published one, two. My third self-published book was Choose Yourself. Uh, I, so let me see, I self-published through Amazon. And by the way, when I say self-published, I don't just mean the ebook. Again, I mean the ebook, the paperback, sometimes the hardcover, sometimes the audiobook, everything. You want to have as you want to look as professional as possible. I can't stand it when I go to some self-published book and there's just the Kindle version. That's not good. Oh, and I was saying earlier, Hugh Howey did a study on this. He found out that the average self-published book on Amazon had higher star ratings than mainstream published books. He also pointed out that they, the average self-published book had uh, higher Amazon rankings, meaning that they were selling more than the average mainstream book. No one has ever asked me, oh, did Hooften Mifflin publish your book? No, nobody cares. They just know you published a book. That's it. So, and so what if you self-published? Make up a name of a publishing company. It's like, oh, no, uh, uh, XYZ Publishing published my book. You could do whatever you want. There is no more stigma to self-publishing. Just write an interesting book. And that's what I'm gonna show you how to, how to do after this long introduction I'm doing, I'm doing to this. But I self-published two books back in like 2011 or 2012, just as almost an experiment. Then I did Choose Yourself, where I hired a professional designer, a professional interior designer, an editor to help proofread it, and so on. I did what I called professionally self-published. I did an audio book, I did a paperback, hardcover, and the great thing about self-publishing is that I could control the marketing. So I could, and I could control the price and I can control when it comes out. So right after I finished the book, I waited about two months because I had some marketing planned and then I published, I built up some, you know, I didn't have to wait a year, which you normally have to wait with mainstream. Like I have a book coming out with Harper Collins in February and I'm grateful I do. I, I go back and forth. I, you don't want to do too much of one thing. I like to switch it around. I've done around 10 self-published books. And now this is the first one in a really long time where I'm publishing mainstream. 
But I finished my book a few months ago. It's not coming out till the end of February. And, you know, and I can't set the price. So they'll price it at whatever. But with a self-published book, I would price the Kindle at 99 cents. I would publish the hardcover at as cheap as I could, maybe 10, 11, $12. So I know one thing that attracts people to buying a book is if it's cheaper. So if two books, if they can't, they haven't read the book yet. So they don't know if they're deciding between two books, they don't know which one's better. They just see the cover and they read the description. So, and they see the price. So I know all things being equal, if I'm cheaper, they're going to buy my book. So I always, when I self-publish, I try to make it as cheap as possible. But by the way, the book I made the most money on is Choose Yourself, which was self-published and was mostly priced at 99 cents. But that's because I was also able to work out different marketing deals. Like I would say to people, oh, you know, if you recommend this book and I'll, the hardcover, you know, I'll do some split with you and, and so on. So uh, there's all sorts of marketing techniques and tricks and not gimmicks, but, uh, the most important thing is to write an interesting book. So, and I will add one more thing about self-publishing. I heard this in a talk being given by Tucker Max in 2014, maybe he said one reason to self-publish a book is, and he's, I'll, I'll put it in my words. I wish I could read the book that my great, great grandmother would have written. I know she came to America from Europe and she had to sneak on the boat and she hid in a suitcase for the entire trip across the Atlantic ocean. And I, and that's the only thing I know about her. I don't even know her name. I wish I could read a book by her. So if you, you could write a book and all you want, you might, it might be that all you want is for your great, great, great grandchildren to know who you were, because that part of our history, is all gone. We know about, you know, the, the great invent, we know about Abraham Lincoln. We know about George Washington. We know about, you know, all the emperors and empresses and kings and wars, but we don't know about our great, great grandparents. And that's such a beautiful reason to write a book as well as writing a book called how to satisfy a billionaire, which had its own, its own pleasures as well. So anyway, what the point of each of these 30 day book challenges is this. I didn't want to give it any challenge where the book couldn't be done in a month. So the idea is any idea, any challenge I give you, the book can be done in a month. The book does not have to be big. 30 to 50 pages is a fine size for a self-published book. So uh, the definition of a book has changed. Like when I write a book for HarperCollins or any mainstream publisher, they want the book to be a certain size. 250 pages, 60,000 words, because they want it to look good in a bookstore. They're selling it to bookstores and they have a certain idea of what a book looks like. It should be 60,000 words. That's, you know, even it's in my contract, actually, how many words the book should be, give or take. But in this world of self-publishing, there's no, you could write a one-page book. I know people who have done that, written one-page books. You could write a 5,000-page book. I know people who have done that. My friend Kamal Ravikant, he wrote uh, a book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, back in 2011 or 2012. I'm pretty sure he sold over a million copies of that book for a night, you know, about $3.99. And again, at Amazon, you get 70% of that. And, you know, I think he's priced higher if he sells the paperback. And he and I know he sells a lot of the audiobook as well. But this is 2012. It's still selling every month. I mean, now he's actually republished it with a mainstream publisher, but just that was just last year. But his 
book, when he self-published it, was 8,000 words. And just to give you an idea, the average book is about 300 words a page. So his book was less than 30 pages. I mean, he stretched it out. He, he spaced it out accordingly. He had some blank pages in between chapters. It was beautifully done. And he made a lot of money over that. I mean, he was making a living from that book for a long time. So there's no, you get to make the definition of a book now. We get to choose ourselves. We don't have to wait for the agent. We don't have to wait for the publisher. We don't have to wait for the sales department of the publisher, the sales department of Barnes and Noble, the, the, you know, the editor, the whoever. You could just come up with a good idea, write it, and upload it to Amazon, make an audiobook, upload that to Audible, check the box for paperback. You'll get a cover from 99designs.com. But let me now finally start some of the challenges for you. So, oh, but first I want to give remember the criteria of a book challenge. The book can be done in a month, doesn't have to be big. There should be many opportunities for sequels and other spokes, other sources of income. And even if the idea is not great, it gets you going and you can create an interesting book and the book should also be easy to market. Now, the other thing that's important in these 30-day book challenges is that I'm giving all of you the same challenge. So doesn't that mean you might think, doesn't that mean you're all gonna write the same book? No, and that's how I'm gonna explain it with each book challenge, why it's different. It's really important that people learn the skills that are gonna be required in what I'm calling the great reset, this period that we're beginning to experience right now. And I wanna tell you about my friend, Anik. So in 2008, Anik Singal was $1.7 million in debt and his company was on the verge of collapsing. I think we got along because he kind of reminds me of myself. And his mistake was he had forgotten one of the golden rules of being an entrepreneur, stick with what's working. So after a few bad business deals, Anik finally returned to a simple five-step program he used to launch his business in the first place. He dug himself out of the hole. His first year doing this, he booked $10 million a year in sales and he has never looked back. I am really impressed with him. And he is going to give a free workshop to my listeners only to teach what he did because it is pot. People use side hustles, this side hustle, that what you really want to do is build a business with as little work as possible. And I know this because I'm lazy, but I love building businesses that keep me independent, that let me do what I want, that let me pursue my passions. So today his system, unique system is responsible for over $250 million in sales. And he's taught it to over 30,000 people worldwide. People like uh, Kane, who used this system to generate over $20,000 a month in passive income, or Daniel was able to quit his nine to five job just four months after discovering Anik's system. And Ippo, one of Anik's students in Greece who makes $8,000 a month or more using a simple five-step system, the system Anik is teaching people. So what they and many others have discovered is the ultimate side hustle, a way to launch a business today with nothing more than an email address and a mentor to show you the way. I always suggest to learn something, you need a plus 
minus equal, a mentor or virtual mentor to teach you, but minus so for someone for you to teach and equals people who are struggling with you. You exchange notes and you learn from them. Everybody is struggling right now. This is an opportunity to learn skills. You could show others and you could build up, build up your wealth, not just make $8 an hour walking dogs or delivering food. This is the real deal. I know, Anik, it's the skills I wish I had known back in 2008. So for listeners of my show today, Anik has recorded a very special workshop just for you. And you have to go to this specific URL because it's just for you. So discover how to use your email address to build an income generating business that could generate thousands a month in passive income. Go to www.learn.com slash altature. That's L-U-R-N, learn, L-U-R-N, www.learn.com slash altature. Okay, the first 30-day book challenge is called, your title is gonna be roughly, if you want, 10 Scientifically Proven Ways to Blank, and you're gonna have to fill in the blank. 10 Scientifically Proven Ways to Blank. Just wanna address the, the number 10. Why do people like articles? It's like, oh, my 10 favorite quotes from Gandhi. My 10, the 10 favorite habits I learned from you know, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt or Thomas Edison or Elon Musk, like people like listicles they're called. And I don't know why that's the case, but they do. So listicles have been around forever. I mean, Moses had the 10 commandments. If they were just called the commandments, I bet it wouldn't have been so popular. Uh, even Buddha, he had the four noble truths and he had the eightfold path. But anyway, 10 scientifically proven ways to blank. So here's what I mean. I want you to go, there's a site called SSRN, Sally, Sally, Roger, Nancy, Sally, Sally, Roger, Nancy.com. And I want to pick, I want you to pick any category that interests you. By the way, so, so SSRN.com, this is a database of 950,733 research papers. So every paper ever written, but from an MIT researcher or professor or Yale, Harvard, all over the world, they're stored here. There's another one, jstor.com. So let's say I pick, you know, let's say I think this month, oh, everybody wants to have better habits. It's January, they have, there's resolutions, or maybe out of this pandemic, people wanna have better health habits or whatever. So. Let's see, I'll type in habits into ssrn.com. Now, uh, the results came back. There's 1,583 scientific papers about habits. And here's one. Uh, this one comes from the University of Virginia, Darden School of Business, professor there. And the paper is called, What Makes Entrepreneurs Entrepreneurial? And Let's look at, find another one. Um, the influence of social media addiction on study habits of college students. That's interesting. Uh, here's one, good habits with asset allocation, which means basically good habits with money. Here's one, shattering negotiation myths, empirical evidence on the effectiveness of negotiation style. Here's another one, 
incentives to exercise. And it talks about how to build the habits so that you feel incentives for exercise. Here's one, the habits of virtue. Uh, so it goes on and on. And by the way, I could have been even more specific. I could have typed in um, entrepreneur. So let's look at that for a second. So, and then you'll see what I'm driving, driving at in a second. Uh, so essentially, so I, I typed in entrepreneur. There's 2,794 papers that showed up. So anatomy of an entrepreneur. Uh, what makes entrepreneurs entrepreneurial? Uh, the, uh, let's see. Um, the making of a successful entrepreneur. Anatomy of an entrepreneur part two. Are successful women entrepreneurs different from men? Uh, crowdfunding models. Uh, the, let's see understanding venture capital structure, the social dimensions of entrepreneurship. And that comes from Oxford University Press. Oh, and the professors from the University of Michigan. What are, what are the social dimensions of entrepreneurship? Uh, uh, oh, it looks like basically what lessons from cross-cultural psychology you can you use to be a better entrepreneur. And so entrepreneurs may partially overcome institutional deficiencies by relying on social networks that facilitate reputational bonding. Anyway, I don't even know what that means, but here's what I want you to do. Pick a word, any word, search SSRN.com for that word. There's going to be maybe thousands of results, almost no matter what word you pick. And I want you to pick your 10 favorites. I want you to read them. Now, here's the thing to know about academic papers. They are unreadable. Even while I just read to you two sentences from the first paragraph of this, the social dimensions of entrepreneurship, unreadable. And so this is what's gonna make your book valuable. You will read these 10 papers and just write a one page summary. So, you know, I might take this paper, the making of a successful entrepreneur. In this paper, we explore company founders' opinions and observations about their own trajectory and what influenced the success or failure of their business. By understanding what entrepreneurs think and believe, we hope to provide more insights into how to better support entrepreneurs and create blah, 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 blah. So this academic paper written by, oh, this guy's from, he, he works for the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, and he went to, and another guy went to, is at Stanford University. So we know they've done their research, then we, we know they've done their work. And he, they, they're going to talk about what's the mindset of an entrepreneur. There's a, they're going to ask people, I haven't read the paper yet. They're going to say, what kind of motivations do founders of high growth companies have? What are their opinions about their own abilities to be a success or a failure? And they're going to probably talk about, they're going to probably do some sort of scientific study and then have a conclusion like, don't be motivated by money, be motivated by love for what you do. Or uh, I'm just guessing, I have no idea. Or you know, what was your attitude towards failure? Did you, did it depress you or did you analyze it and break it apart? And so now you could start building these different habits. So the point is, is that you take this academic paper, you have a chapter, maybe call it how to view failure. And then right in the beginning, you'll describe there was this scientific experiment done at Stanford. They interviewed 500 or a thousand entrepreneurs. Actually, there's 549 entrepreneurs and Ask them, what did they think about their prior, how did they analyze their prior failures? And this was their conclusion, you know, that everybody said, blah, blah, blah. 
and and everybody started to build these habits after the first failure. Um, so I'm just skimming through the paper right now, but uh, oh, it's all about different kinds of excuses uh, people have and entrepreneurs, uh, how they view uh, the, the concept of risk. There's lots of interesting things. So there's lots of interesting conclusions. So you'll basically take this unreadable paper and boil it down to a one-page summary. I mean, the paper itself is like 30 pages. Boil it down to a one or two-page summary and you're allowed to reference, you're not plagiarizing, you're allowed to reference and summarize someone else's work. This comes from Stanford, so it's it's le legit. Um, oh, this is great. Like factors that prevent others from, oh, this could even be a whole chapter. This one page I'm looking at right now, factors that prevent people from becoming entrepreneurs. And it's very, and here's another one, sources of funding for uh, entrepreneurs. That's great. So look, you, you can refer to this and then, Maybe you call this chapter the most the most important factors of preventing you from being an entrepreneur, something like that. And you write a personal story from your own life. Like, let me look at one of the factors right here. An unwillingness to take risks. And so I can say, well, there was one time I had a job and uh, I didn't really like the job, but I had an opportunity to be an entrepreneur and start a business. I had a really good idea and I had a customer and it wouldn't have been that hard for me to start up and, and serve that customer. And then I could have built a business, but I was so afraid to lose my stable salary um, that I didn't do that entrepreneurial, I, I didn't become an entrepreneur and I stayed at the job and six months later they laid me off or whatever your story is. Tell a story and uh, you know, a story as you know, should start off with a problem so the problem is, you know, it's called the, in the, in the, in the arc of the hero, the, uh, the hero starts off with a problem. In this case, should I be an entrepreneur or not? And you could go into details. Oh, this was the entrepreneurial opportunity. This was my job. What would you have done? I didn't know what to do. I had a family to feed, blah, blah, blah. So you get into the problem. And then there's an instigating incident that drives you further. Like I decided, you know, to not be an entrepreneur because my wife was pregnant and we needed a new home and I got scared and my mortgage was big and the American dream told me I needed the white picket fence and the yard and blah, blah. So, and then maybe you, you go into how you decide to be now be more entrepreneurial and, and, and you, you have a better understanding of risk and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you tell a personal story and then maybe you take a, a historical story. So for instance, you might, maybe you do, the story of Damon John, or, or let's do Richard Branson. So Richard Branson started an airline. Like he was a 27 year old kid, started an airline. And he, you would think, was he, did he have an airline experience? Did he have business experience? Yeah, he had business experience. He published a little magazine about music in London for, for like, you know, punk subculture or whatever. And, and he, yet he started an airline. What he did was he called Boeing and said, Hey, can I, buy? he didn't buy an airplane. He didn't buy a 747. He couldn't afford it. He didn't have any money. He called Boeing and said, Hey, can I borrow an airline from you? And they of course laughed at him. Like you're just a 27 year old kid. And he said, wait, 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 before you hang up, don't forget in England, it's a monopoly British airways. So you have no pricing pressure against British Airways. If, if we set up a second airline, Virgin Air, Virgin Atlantic, he called it, 
then you'll have better pricing pressure against uh, British Airways. So this is good for you. So how about you lend me a plane? I'll return it in a year. You know, if my airline doesn't work out and no risk to you. So he did a number of things like that in order to, not that he was unwilling to take a risk, but that was a different take on risk. He was, he was taking a risk, but he was also reducing it at the same time. He didn't risk all his money. And then some, he didn't risk investors' money. He examined the risk and figured out how to reduce it. So that might be, so, so again, this is the structure of every chapter. Find an academic paper you like, uh, summarize it in a page or two, write a personal story in just a few paragraphs where you do the habit or suggestion recommended in this research paper, you know, and as, and you can always refer to the research paper. This is what these scientists concluded make better entrepreneurs and then tell a story from history. And there's so many historical examples about entrepreneurship that if you're interested in it, you can even Google stories about entrepreneurship and you'll find plenty of stories. Do a chapter every two days. So in the first day, read the paper, summarize it. In the second day, write a couple of paragraphs. That's your personal story. Write a couple of paragraphs. That's a historical story. Now you have three pages, put a blank page in between chapters. So now you have four pages. And then within 20 days, if you do a new chapter every two days, within 20 days, you're going to have a 40 page book, maybe more if you write more, maybe a little less if you write less, doesn't matter. I would aim for 30 to 40 pages at least, but who knows? So now you have 10 chapters. It's filled with interesting stories, not only your personal stories, and don't forget to be vulnerable in every story. That's a key to good personal storytelling is be vulnerable. Everybody has problems. You have problems. Richard Branson has problems. Jeff Bezos just had private personal texts to his mistress shared all over the newspapers. So he's got problems, even though he's makes a billion a minute or whatever. So always start a story with your problems, other people's problems, and then how they use the techniques of this scientific study that you started the chapter with to solve those problems. Again, you build 10 chapters, you're done in 20 days, spend a day or two checking for grammar, which you can easily do on Microsoft Word. Go on 99designs.com and you can do what's called the reverse auction. You could say, look, here's the title of my book. I need a cover. Who can do it the cheapest? And artists, graphic designers from around the world will, will bid lower and lower to get the opportunity to do your book cover. So you'll get a book cover, uh, get a back cover as well, and get some quotes from friends on there and from your mom and from your boss and whoever. And so now you have testimonials, put in an acknowledgements page. If you want, do the audiobook. I definitely recommend. A lot of people now listen to audiobooks. I get more per month on Choose Yourself Still seven years later from my audiobook, which I did myself and uploaded to Audible, than I do from the paperback of Choose Yourself and more every month from the audio. So anyway, that's book challenge number one. Let me see if I have any more notes on that one. Write a chapter, summarize the problem the paper points out, summarize their solutions and, and the studies they did to prove their solutions. Give one to three historical examples and ideally give an example from your own life. Now you have a chapter. And again, the entire point of this is scientists do not write for regular people. So you're providing a valuable service. You're translating these esoteric, scientific, proven things about being a better entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're translating it for the layman 
and you're adding in stories and historical examples and your own examples, it's great. So now you do this 10 times, you have 10 chapters, you get a cover from 99designs.com and on day 30, just Google, how do I self-publish on Amazon? And it'll take you to, well, I'll tell you right now because they've changed the URL recently, but um, how to self-publish on Amazon. It'll take you to kdp.amazon.com. You simply upload your book into, and they'll put it into the Kindle format. You could click a box that says, make it a paperback. You go to audible.com to upload the audible. And that's it. You, my friend, will have a fully published book called 10 Scientifically Proven Ways to Be a Better Entrepreneur. And by the way, anybody else who does this strategy and even does, picks the same word as you, they're going to have a completely different book. They're going to pick 10 different papers out of the 2,798 papers that showed up. They're going to have different stories, different historical examples, different personal examples, different cover. So you don't have to worry about competing anybody. And, and you know, you don't have to pick entrepreneurship. You could pick negotiation. You could pick habits. Let's say I type in persuasion. I always like to be a better persuader. So here's the minimal uh, persuasive effects of campaigns evidence from 49 field experiments. And this comes from Stanford also. So they figured out what were most influ what were the most influential techniques that presidents use. So that's pretty useful. The psychology of malware warnings. So they look at the persuasive uh, behavior of when you get a, mal a malware warning on your computer. Scam compliance and the psychology of persuasion. Post-it note persuasion. How post-it notes can help your persuasion or help you build new habits or, or help you persuade others. If you give somebody a post-it note, anyway, it goes on and on. So this is the first 30 day book challenge. You could do it easily in 30 days. A lot of times people say, well, how do I market it? I'll get to that in a second, but let me give you another book challenge. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
than you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hims. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan.
So one thing that I used to do is I used to plagiarize pretty heavily. And I don't mean plagiarize like what I did with 50 Shades of Grey, where I took the exact book and replaced every word with a synonym. Uh, that's true plagiarism and is actually illegal. Uh, I don't do, I don't mean that kind of plagiarize. By the way, here's an interesting little story. Back in the 1960s, one of my favorite writers, Jerzy Kosinski, he wrote a book that won the Pulitzer Prize called Steps. It was a great book. It was a small book. I think it was only like 110, 120 pages. Beautiful book. And another guy for his PhD thesis, I think it was his first PhD thesis, another guy wanted to do a little experiment. So he retyped the entire book for steps. This was just like five to 10 years later, I forget. This guy retyped word for word, not even using synonyms. He used the exact same words as Jerzy Kosinski won the Pulitzer Prize with, with the book steps. He submitted this, our, our hero then submitted the plagiarized book to 19 different publishers. Guess what happened? Every publisher rejected the book. Not a single one of these publishers said, oh my gosh, who is this guy? This is the most amazing book ever. And this is a book that honestly is very amazing. And also it won the Pulitzer Prize. So if you're an editor in your industry, you would think you would have read the, the, the Pulitzer Prize winning books of the past 10, 15 years. But no, out of 19 publishers, none of them had ever read the book. None of them recognized it at all. And they all rejected it, even though it was brilliant. So I bring this example up to also tell you, don't take no from the gatekeepers. If you want to write a book, you could write it. If, if shitty books like 50 Shades of Grey sell 50 million copies, then that's fine. And if amazing books like Steps could win the Pulitzer Prize, but then are plagiarized and can't even um, get accepted by a publisher, you know the entire publishing industry is batshit insane. And why not you write a book? Who cares? Why not you? So here is the next, the next book challenge, and it is related to the concept of plagiarism. And so what do I mean by that? So one time I wrote an article for TechCrunch, which is a big tech entrepreneurship blog titled The Nine Surefire Ways to Fail at Everything. Okay, and I write illness, lack of creativity, indecision, carelessness, laziness, lack of focus, and on and on. Well, those nine sections, those nine words, like lack of focus or inertia, whatever, I 100% stole them. And what did I steal them from? There was a text written in around 300 BC called the Yoga Sutras. So the study of yoga comes from this religious text. It was a deeply religious text called the Yoga Sutras. And it was just a poem. It was a 195 line poem. And one of the lines basically says, translated from the Sanskrit, one of the lines says, here are the nine ways, the nine things that will prevent you from getting enlightenment. Because yoga really ultimately is about meditation and their views on enlightenment and spirituality. So I used the exact nine words that was in the Yoga Sutras. So the nine things that prevent you from getting enlightenment, according to this sacred text in the study of yoga, I used those exact words. I didn't change a thing in these nine, in this article, nine surefire ways to fail at everything. And I've rewritten this article several times. I've rewritten it as nine ways to fail as an entrepreneur. I've also reversed it like 10 ways to succeed, blah, blah, blah. But 
this was one of my most popular articles I had ever written for TechCrunch. It got hundreds of thousands of views. And every place where I posted it, it got, I think on like LinkedIn, it might've gotten uh, a million views. So it got, it got a huge number of views. And I took, you know, I basically took illness and I said, you know, the basics, like you can't, you have to keep healthy or else if you're feeling, if you're not taking care of your health, you're going to, you're not going to be creative. You're not going to be able to do sales. You're not going to be able to manage a team. You're not going to be able to execute. You won't be able to sell your company, blah, blah, lack of creativity and on and on. So the point is not that I plagiarize is that here's what actually happened. The yoga sutras is of course, you know, again, yoga is practiced all over the world. Millions and millions of people have read or studied the yoga sutras. And I, that's like a giant focus group that history gave me. So millions of people have basically, there's many texts that were written in 300 BC. This is the one that survives. This is the text that people saved and read and hung up on their wall and kept next to their bed. And they read over and over again from 300 BC all the way up to now. That's a gigantic focus group. So I know that every line in this text of the Yoga Sutras, I know that people really, really like it. I know that they like these nine reasons that they can't succeed at X. And I know even the structure of that, it's not like nine ways to get enlightenment. It's nine ways to fail. So I know even the structure of that people had some primal response to. So I wrote the exact same structure and the same words, but I did idea sex. I combined that line in the yoga sutras with entrepreneurship. So I want you to do the same thing. Pick an area. Like I was talking to Robin earlier, my, my wife, and she said, well, parenting. Okay. Pick an area you love parenting or habits or being a lawyer or being a tennis player or music and find your favorite, you know, religious text that has been focus grouped by the test of time. So it might be, you know, some text from Zen Buddhism, or it might be, uh, the, the four noble truths of Buddhism, or it might be the Analects of Confucius or the art of war. Uh, or, uh, I don't know, uh, the Bible, who knows? It could be anything. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Stephen Pressfield, a novelist, he wrote the book that became a movie, The Legend of Bagger Vance. It was about, uh, a guy played by Matt Damon, um, who is in Georgia in the 1920s about to play in a golf tournament. And his caddy is played by Will Smith. And his caddy gives him this kind of mystical advice that helps him get over his, his problems. Well, Stephen Pressfield told me the exact structure beat by beat is the Bhavagad Gita, which is the most sacred text in Hinduism. So he took that sacred text and combined it with 1920s golf tournament in Atlanta, Georgia. And he made a best-selling book that became a movie starring, starring Will Smith and Matt Damon. And it changed Stephen Pressfield's life forever. It was his first published novel. So he borrowed a hundred percent from the structure of a story that was written 3000 years ago. And he just applied it to something new. You can do the exact same thing. So what's, what's some examples? Um, let me see. I will find it. Here's the Tao Te Ching, the art of war, the yoga sutras, 
the Four Noble Truths, the Bible, the Quran, the Diamond Sutra from Buddhism, Proverbs from the Bible, or find something a little more secure. There's a, a text, uh, Zhang Zi's Six Secret Teachings. So this is a book that went side by side at, with The Art of War, written by Sun Tzu, and there was a collection of books all about war. And, you know, it was it still withstood the test of time. Maybe not as popular as The Art of War, but who knows the reason why. We, we still have this book with us thousands of years later. So, for instance, let's look at chapter six of The Art of War. So what I want you to do is, I want you to take the structure of the book and some of the guidelines in the book, whether it's the Tao Te Ching or The Art of War or The Analects of Confucius, and I want you to apply it to your favorite topic. So for instance, chapter six of The Art of War is called Weak Points and Strong Points. So the idea is you should not go to war unless you've analyzed the weak points and strong points of your enemy. So remember, I told you the story of Richard Branson in Virgin Atlantic. Guess what he did? He analyzed the weak points and the strong points of British Airways and the weak points and strong points of Boeing. So the weak point of Boeing is that they had no pricing pressure against a monopoly like British Airways. So he took advantage of that. And the weak point of British Airways was is that people wanted an alternative. They didn't want to be have only one choice in England. Even the Heathrow Airport gave him a landing strip so that the British Airways would have competition. And he also analyzed the strong points of Boeing and British Airways. So the strong point of British Airways, they had an infinite amount of money compared to Richard Branson. So he didn't fight that battle. He fought on the battle he could win by analyzing their weak points. I could go on, but look, I just took chapter six of The Art of War, weak points and strong points, and applied it to Richard Branson. I could also apply it to my own stories about starting different businesses and Look, maybe there's a time where I didn't research my opponent's weak points and strong points. And as a result, I messed up badly. I remember one time I was raising money for a hedge fund and someone said to me, oh, have, uh, 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 you know, meet, meet this one guy. He'll, he'll be great for you. He'll, he'll put money in your fund. And so I go meet this guy and I knew he was like really wealthy, but I didn't know he was running his own hedge fund and he was had other things going on too. He was very concerned about security. He's, and actually he said to me, he rejected my request for money. I, again, I didn't analyze his weak points or strong points. I didn't really come prepared. And he, he said to me, look, I would love to give you money, but you know, the last thing we need here at Bernard Madoff Securities, pointed him to himself, the last thing we need here at Bernard Madoff Securities is CRD on the front page of the newspaper. So I, I left and I was disappointed. But boom, I just did the, the, the Art of War, chapter six, took a story from history, took a story from my personal life about weak points and strong points. And then you could write, you know, the war of business or, you know, the war of entrepreneurship, or maybe, you know, Robin, my wife would write, you know, how to fight the parenting war or the, or the, or the art of parenting, you know, look for the weak points and strong points in your child. So I always knew with my kids, for instance, that, they were always willing, when they were little, they were always willing to test the boundaries with me and, and misbehave. And if I yelled at them, that did nothing. That, that confirmed for them that they can get a reaction from me. But if I said to them, this was their weak point. If I said to them, you know what, Josie, I'm disappointed in you. I thought you were better than this. And I just walk away. Then that would be the worst thing that could ever happen to them. 
And so by analyzing the weak points and strong points of my kid, parenting is war. Parents know what I'm talking about. By analyzing the weak points and strong points, chapter six of the Art of War, I, that's a chapter in my book on parenting if I were to write one. Again, make a one-to-one -one analogy. Pick, pick 10 concepts you like from the sacred text that you choose. Make a one-to-one -one mapping between your 10 favorite ideas on entrepreneurship or parenting or music or golf or whatever, and write the Tao of parenting, the Tao of golf, the Zen of entrepreneurship, whatever. Uh, so this makes it, this is every day, write one chapter, you write the title, which it comes straight from whatever text you're using, then write a personal story, write a historical anecdote, boom. In 10 to 20 days, you'll have a book, get a cover, upload it, you're done. Now, uh, what's great about these two ideas is that there's room for sequels. So I just, well, the first one, let's say I did 10 scientifically proven ways to be a better entrepreneur. I can easily write 10 more scientifically proven ways to be an entrepreneur. I could also write 10 scientifically proven ways to be a better negotiator, 10 scientifically proven ways to be a better lawyer. So, you know, you always want to think, how can I franchise this idea? So with this other one, I could do Zen in the art of parenting, Zen in the art of marriage, Zen in the art of sex, which by the way, there was a book, The Tao of Sex, when I was a kid, my parents had it. So I was always trying to sneak it off their bookshelves, but this is not, a, this is not an unusual idea. There's people have written, there's books called, the, there's a book, famous bestseller called Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. There's a book called The Tao of Pooh about Winnie the Pooh. There's Zen in the Art of Archery. So this is a common, I, Stephen Pressfield wrote uh, The War of Art instead of The Art of War. Um, so this is a common strategy. So I just gave you two 30-day uh, book challenges. You're going to hear this podcast on Friday. I have four more book challenges for you that I want to share, and I have more stuff to talk about this and self-publishing and, and how, do I, how to make money with it. Uh, here's what I want you to do, because I, I didn't get to all six, and I have to end this podcast or Jay is going to kill me. Uh, so I do not want to be killed by Jay, the audio engineer and slash producer. So please tweet to me that, hey, you, you loved that podcast with the 30 day book challenges. You'd love to hear the next Side Hustle Friday one be the other four book challenges. And I'll throw in some stuff too about other ways you can make money once you write these books. I will give all four, I promise, next Friday. I mean, all six incompletely, but you know, I'll, I'll do two today for uh, next Friday. Tweet me at Jay Altucher or send me a text at 203-590-8607. And most importantly, the best way you can help me is not only give me that feedback because that will determine if I uh, talk about the other four book challenges in next Friday, but please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already uh, and, and leave a review. It really helps me out. I want to, it's been years since I've, you know, the, the Apple algorithm, the Apple podcast algorithm uh, depends on how many people write reviews recently. And so it really helps me when people write reviews and I would love it. That would help me so much. And I really appreciate it. I really thank everybody, you know, join the Choose Yourself Facebook group. Anybody who writes a book based on these 30-day book challenges, I will do an entire podcast talking about each book and, and you'll get some sales. 
So I will help out. I will t you can ask me questions in Twitter or join the Choose Yourself group on Facebook, and I'll answer questions there. Or send me texts again at 203-590-8607 and give me feedback. Review this podcast. Let me know how Side Hustle Fridays are going and, and what, what you want to see next week. If you want to see four new book challenges, 30-day book challenges, remember, you can write a book a month. If each one makes on average 500 bucks, then by the end of the year, you're going to be making $6,000 a year, $6,000 a year. By the end of year two, you're going to be making 12,000 uh, a year. So you're just going to, and then there's all these ancillary ways to make money too, which I'll talk about next week. So start now. It's not so hard. Trust me. Once you get in the routine, it'll only take you like an hour a day, which I know you can do. I'll talk more about that next week. If you want, I know people who wrote their first novels on the subway ride to work. Gosh. Oh, the movie pitch perfect. The writer who's a Facebook friend of mine, but I've never spoken to her. The writer, she used to write a page a day of the movie that became pitch perfect on her subway ride to work. And that was her first movie. It was a huge movie pitch perfect. Anyway, see you next Friday. That was today's 30 day book challenges. I hope you liked it. Thanks so much. Also for a listener, I just want to say this on the record. I'm not going to kill James. I'm going to write James a very angry tweet. Uh, you're gonna, well, uh, Jay, you're going to have to write a 30 day book uh, about how much you can't stand dealing with me. And now I'm actually giving a lecture at Berkeley in two minutes. So I'm signing off. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Jay. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate everyone. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work.